Welcome to the Bradenville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We're located at 285 Church Street in Bradenville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with worship to follow at 11 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now, please enjoy our lesson. When you think about fire, what what's the first image that pops into your mind? My... Uh, my cousins, when they were younger, when we were younger, I remember waking up early one Saturday morning, and it was cold outside, and we woke up with my mom on the telephone with my aunt, and it wasn't very long before my cousins came in the front door, and they came in wearing their pajamas. And the reason they were over there at 5.30 in the morning in their pajamas was their house had burned down. And that's all they had. And so when we think about fire... A lot of times we think about fire as being something that, that, is, that is destructive and that it, it burns up things that we love, things that we, that we have purchased or things that we have great joy in. And fire is that way. Fire is an interesting thing in that way. But it's also interesting in that we can burn trash with it. A couple of days ago I went out to the trash, our trash barrel and I threw a bunch of bags in there that we didn't want anymore. And they were starting to kind of stink up the garage. And so I lit fire to them. And you know what that fire did? It burned that trash up. Got rid of it. And so fire is interesting in that standpoint because it consumes things. And if Dusty were here, he would tell us this with a lot more detail. But fire basically needs three things to, to do its job. It needs fuel. It needs air. And it needs a, a source of heat. It needs something to kind of get it started. You take one of those three things away and you don't have fire anymore. But what we're going to talk about today is a passage that, that uh, Colton read for us this morning. When the Bible describes God as a consuming fire, what picture pops into your head? What do you think about with, with all the different pictures, all the different ways in which the Bible describes God? When the Bible describes Him as, as a consuming fire, what do you think about and then the next question would be, how do we have a relationship with a consuming fire? How do we have a relationship with a God who describes himself as a consuming fire? That's important for us to know. This lesson's coming from a discussion I had this week with a, with a, a brother and, and an elder in the church, one of the churches in Springfield about this idea of a consuming fire because it's interesting when we think about God as a consuming fire, we want to know how to relate to fire. How would, we, how would we relate to God? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I want to begin by looking at some examples of God's consuming fire. And the word consuming there means exactly what you think of it. It, it, it eats up, it devours whatever the fuel is. And so we begin in Genesis chapter 19. And we're not going to turn and read a lot of passages over there. You're welcome to turn there if you want to. But I'm just going to summarize these for you just for the sake of time because I'm I'm trying to to make myself a little more efficient in my presentations. Exodus, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 19 is the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so you think about what was going on there. You had a people who were committing atrocious sins. God sends his, his messengers there. He sends his angels there to, to observe the city. They're taken in by Lot. And you remember how the people want to treat the men of the city gathered together. And they want to treat these men poorly. They want to sexually abuse them. And to cut to the chase, God delivers Lot and his family from Sodom and Gomorrah. And you remember what he does? He rains fire 
and brimstone from heaven down on these cities. And all the cities of the plain there burns them completely up. Just destroys the whole plain because of, because of these cities here. And so we see God's consuming fire. Very, very destructive in its, in its work here on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You jump forward into Leviticus chapter 10. And God's now giving the law. And he's putting in place the worship of Israel. And one of the things that we see in the worship of Israel is fire. Fire is, pre- is prevalent through the worship of Israel. It was used to burn the sacrifices. And it was used to burn the incense. And so fire has a very important role to play in the worship of Israel. In Leviticus chapter 10, we see two of, of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. And they're going to come and they're going to burn incense from before the Lord. But the Bible says they take some profane fire. When we think of profanity, we think of things that are nasty, right? Things that are dirty. And that's what profane means. It means a lack of reverence for things that should be holy. They take some fire that God didn't authorize and they come in to burn incense. And you know what happens? Fire comes from the Lord. Burns them up. There we see God's consuming fire. He destroyed these young men over an item of worship. That's a whole different sermon in and of itself, isn't it? To speak about the importance of our worship and how we worship God. But we see these young young men consumed, or these men consumed by God's consuming fire. You move forward to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 9. And God tells the children of Israel that he's now brought them to the Jordan River. And he's about to send them into the promised land. He's about to lead them, excuse me, into the promised land. And he tells the children of Israel that, that here they're going, to, they're going to be led in by God. And God's going to do something to the inhabitants. And, and the specific thing he says is he's going to consume them like a fire would consume them. These are the Anakim. These are the descendants of Anak who were the giants in the land. You remember when the children of Israel came up the first time, when they come to the southern border, they send the 12 spies in. When I say 12 spies, you say... Do you remember? Is it numbers 13 and 14, right? We've been working on that in our class. That's why I asked that. So for the folks in the class, Numbers 13 and 14 is the story of the 12 spies. You remember when they sent the 12 spies in, they saw these giants in the land, and it discouraged them, and they didn't go in. They get to the, to the eastern border, the Jordan River, and God says, you know the giants are there. I'm going to lead you in, and I'm going to consume them like fire would consume chaff. I'm going to burn them up. I'm going to, I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to leave them. I'm going to wipe them out so that you'll have the land. And so God's consuming fire here is, an, is, a, is, a, is a fire of action. It takes action. What do we learn, though, from these? What do we learn from these examples? When you go back and you read through Genesis chapters 18 and 19, in a couple different spots, though, it talks about why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And in particular, it said their wickedness had become grave before the Lord, that the cries against Sodom and Gomorrah had come up to the ears of God. And what we learn there is the fuel of God's fire in that particular situation was the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. Fuel, air, heat, right? You've got God, and and what's interesting here is the word spirit is translated in the Greek from the word pneuma, where we get our pneumatics, right? You got a pneumatic gun, 
something that shoots nails with air. God is spirit. And his anger against sin is what drove Solomon and Gomorrah to be destroyed. That's important for us to remember. God's consuming fire is fueled by sin. You move up to Leviticus chapter 10. And if you look at verse 3, God here in speaking through Moses to the, to, those, to the children of Israel says, You will esteem me as holy. I, I want you to understand that I am holy. And you can't bring profanity. You can't worship me with profane things. These men had transgressed. They had gone beyond what God had commanded. And God destroyed them for it. And you look at the the um, the Anakim. This is interesting. I do want to read this one. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Because it tells us here why God led the children of Israel into the promised land. And in particular, why he destroyed or why his consuming fire destroyed the Anakim. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 just to get the context here. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Therefore understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you, so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness the Lord has brought me in to possess the land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. He's going to go on in verses 5 and 6 to tell them exactly the same thing again. Don't think that your righteousness is what destroyed the Anakim. It's their wickedness. And so what we then, we kind of come to this conclusion then. God's consuming fire is God's destruction of sin. The fuel of sin, the fuel is wickedness, the fuel is rebellion. God's anger, he burns in his, there's a, there's a reason why God's anger is described as a fire, because he burns in his anger over, uh, over sin and his wrath. And in that wrath then, he is going to consume those things that are sinful. I don't know about you, but that leaves me with a little bit of pause. When we think about God being a consuming fire, that's, I'll just be blunt, that scares me a little bit. Because it tells me that I may have some fuel in my life. Anybody have any fuel in their life? We've already talked about fuel is, right? Fuel is sin, fuel is wickedness, fuel is rebellion. Those things that God would consume, I can find in my life. And that's a challenge for us. And in, and in that challenge, then, we might be tempted to shy away from God. To be discouraged by this message. Because we see what God does with sin. Notice what the warning that God gave the children of Israel over in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy 4, verses 23 through 24, God says these words. 
Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. That sounds familiar. I'm going to pause right for a second. Bible study this morning. What are we talking about? Jeroboam making golden calves that were contrary to the commandments of God. God said, you be careful. You don't do that. Verse 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. God warned them before he did it that he was a consuming fire. Now that might give us some concern. That might give us pause and even a little bit make us afraid of God to want to shy away from him. You move into Ezekiel chapter 22, and I love this passage, where God through Ezekiel describes um, describes his, his fire as a, as a furnace here. This is Ezekiel chapter 22. Listen to verse 17. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. They are all bronze, tin, iron, and lead in the midst of a furnace. They have become dross from silver. Now we don't use that word dross a whole lot anymore, but that's the stuff in silver that you want to burn out to make silver more purified. And in particular, he mentions bronze and tin and what else? And iron and lead. All those in and of themselves are not bad, but when, you try, when you're trying to make silver, you don't want bronze mixed in with it. You don't want tin, you don't want iron, you want lead. You want silver, right? And he said, you're like dross. You're the things that are distracting from the silver. And here's what I'm going to do with you. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have all become dross, therefore, behold, I will gather you in the midst of Jerusalem as men gather silver, bronze, iron, lead, and tin into the midst of a furnace to blow fire on it, to melt it. So I will gather you in my anger and in my fury, and I will leave you there and melt you. Yes, I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath, and you shall be melted in its midst. As silver is melted in the midst of a furnace, so shall you be melted in its midst. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my fury on you. Ow! I don't want any part of that. God uses the term fury. Sounds a lot like fiery, doesn't it? And that's what God is—that's what God is pouring out here upon Israel in this situation, because these people have become wicked before Him. He says, "You're like dross, and I don't need you. I don't need that. So I'm going to burn it off." And even in even in the time of the New Testament, you remember Jesus is described as being a a, a one who's going to come with fire. John preached about Jesus. He said. Uh, He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He says his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he's going to thoroughly purge out his threshing floor. He's going to separate the, the wheat from the chaff. And what's going to happen to that chaff? It's going to be burned with unquenchable fire. What's the word unquenchable mean? Can't be put out, right? It's never going to be put out. And so when we think about these passages, again, we might want to shy away from God. We might be discouraged by the message. But here's, the, here's where I want us to start turning our thinking. Start changing our perspective on God's consuming fire. Because fire is not always just destructive of things that we possess, things that we value. Remember me telling you about going out and burning my trash? 
that trash at one point in time was something that was useful for me, but we had used it up. It wasn't useful anymore. It wasn't beneficial. As a matter of fact, it was becoming a health hazard, and so we had to get rid of it. And if we begin to think about God's consuming fire as a way to get rid of the trash in our lives, then now we can begin to understand how we have a relationship with a consuming fire. Because we want to, we want to allow God to purge out the dross to drive out the sin, to burn it up, and to get it away from us. Because what we find in the Scriptures is, God can burn out the sin without burning out the sinner. God can cleanse us from sin and not completely burn us up the way He did in Adab and Abihu. And so I want, you to, I want you to think about some passages here that remind us of this. Exodus chapter 3. Moses has left Israel and now he's in the wilderness. And he's out tending his father-in-law's sheep. And he's up in the region of Horeb, and he comes up on this mountain, mount that we would know later as Sinai. He gets up on this mountain, and he's, he sees this bush. And you remember what's... This bush is different from all the other bushes around it. That's because it's on fire. Now, there wasn't a lot of other bushes burning out there in the wilderness, but this bush was on fire. But the problem with this was, the bush wasn't being consumed. It's burning but it's not being consumed. Moses starts walking towards the bush, and a voice comes from heaven and says, Moses, take off your shoes, for the ground on which you're walking is holy ground. One of the things we learn is that when God makes something holy, He can burn fire around it, but it's not going to burn that thing up. It's not going to consume it. And I like that. Because it begins to give me some hope. We look at people who've been washed in the blood of Jesus. We've been made holy. We've been made sanctified. We've been made justified. We've been made glorified by the blood of Jesus. Is there some hope for us that we can be in the midst of God's consuming fire and not be consumed by it? Definitely so. Let's move forward to another story. Exodus chapter 13. And now we see the children of Israel. They're being led in the wilderness. Do you remember what they were led with? By the daytime, they were led by the, a, a pillar of cloud. But one of the problems with a cloud is you can't see it very well at night. And so as the, as the day would turn into night, that pillar of cloud would begin to transition into a pillar of fire. And the children of Israel were led by God's consuming fire. They were led by this pillar of fire. So there's hope for us, Right? We can be led by God's fire. We can be encouraged by God's fire. We can be comforted. He said, I want you to be comforted because when you see the cloud in the day, when you see the fire at night, I want you to know that I am with you, that I, the Lord your God, lead you, that I go before you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be a wall around you in front and in back. I'm going to watch over you. That begins to give me some hope. I'm encouraged by this now. I'm starting to like this idea of a consuming fire because it's not just something that's going to destroy, but it has some protective qualities to it as well. And then we come to Exodus chapter 19. And I do want to read this one here. Children of Israel have come to Sinai. This is the mountain where, this is the region where Moses has seen the burning bush. And now they're 
going to have their, their first real interaction with God. God's brought them to His mountain. He's going to give them His, his law. But in Exodus 19, they're going to see God to the best of their ability. They're going to see God's glory manifested on Sinai. And you look at Exodus chapter 18, beginning in verse 17. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. Let's pause right there for a second. How many of you like to have a meeting with God? When I say meeting with God, what's your first instinct? What's your first reaction? If it's, if it's afraid, I want, us, I want this lesson to encourage you. Because God does not want us to be afraid of Him. He wants us to fear Him. He wants us to, to be reverent towards Him. But He doesn't want us to have a phobia that drives us away. He wants us to have a firm respect for Him. So God's going to demonstrate Himself in a way to children of Israel that they'll have a respect for Him. So Moses brings them out that they can meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. When the Lord came down upon Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. I want you to notice there God manifested himself before Israel in a flaming fire. Now there's aspects of this that would probably be alarming. Uh, we went last night and listened to Jacob play and they were playing, he was playing his trumpet, right? And so you think about this, 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 this idea that this trumpet is playing and it plays louder and louder and louder and I think sometimes our instinct is to say, well that would be scary, right? You know what happened last night when the trumpet got louder and louder and louder? People got more and more excited. It got better, right? People got fired up because now they understand there's something going on. There's action going on. God is present in the moment with Israel and he's, he's manifested himself in smoke and fire. God wanted his people to experience him. And this was the way... He personified himself to them in smoke and fire. So if we want a relationship with God, we need to know how to experience Him and appreciate both the beneficial and the detrimental aspects of fire. How can we do that? How, how can we take advantage of uh, that's not exactly the way I want to say this, but let me say, how do we take advantage of a consuming fire? How do we, how do we allow God to, to work in us, or how do we use God to our advantage? And that's what I want to kind of wrap up with here. And really what it comes down to is, how does God benefit us with His consuming fire without destroying us? How do we allow God to burn off the fuel without burning up the soul? And there's a couple of passages that help us understand this. First of all, let's let's go to First Peter chapter chapter one. And I'll just tell you up front, some of this is not always going to be fun. But it's going to be necessary. 
Peter's going to use an analogy here, going back to the idea of the dross and the silver. He's going to, he's going to transition silver into gold, but he's going to talk about the purification process that God's consuming fire works upon us. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need, you have been grieved by various trials. Christians, we need to understand we're going to have trials in our lives. Jesus promised us that we would, in this life, have tribulation. And so, the sooner we can get our minds wrapped around the fact that we're going to have trials and tribulation in this life, the quicker we're going to get an understanding and a, and a, and a grasp of how we interact with a consuming fire. He says, You've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the re- revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The first thing that we need to understand about God's consuming fire is it's going to put us through trials in order to burn off the dross. Now, I don't know what the dross is in your life. But I'm starting to understand what the dross is in my life. The things that are, that are distractions to faith. And I want to encourage us all to wrestle with this. What are the things in my life that distract me from being what God wants me to be? What are the things that God wants to burn off? What's the fuel for God's wrath that we can get rid of? Is it impatience? Is it pride? Is it, is it other sins? Is it stealing? Is it lying? Is there something in my life that is a distraction to my Christianity? If we'll allow God's consuming fire to burn that off, then we can be the gold that God wants us to be. We can, be, we can have this precious faith that's more genuine than, than the precious gold that Peter talks about that results in the salvation of our souls. God wants to help us in this situation. He wants us to, to burn off these things that are a distraction to us and to be encouraged by what's left. In Mark chapter 9, verse 49, Jesus says that we are to be seasoned with fire. What's, what does that mean? Anybody ever barbecue anything? Why do you barbecue? Why don't you just cook it in the skillet? Because barbecue adds a good seasoning to it, right? The fire does something to the meat that you can't get when you just throw it in the oven. And so there's things about God's fire that make us more palatable to Him. You're going to say it even more plain, to make us taste good to God. What are things that make us taste good to God and to the people around us? Love, mercy, grace, kindness. You think about the things that God wants to, to, to put back into our lives. And in order to get those in our lives, we've got to burn some stuff off. Bitterness, wrath, envy, jealousy. The things that would be a distraction. And so God uses His fire to season us. 
and to uh, and to to make us stronger. Another way that that fire is used to season things is you think about tempering metal. Now you take a you take a, a piece of iron, right, and you you're working on it to make a blade out of it, and you get that blade just right. You get it looking right. You get a nice sharp edge on it, but you know what's going to happen the first time you try to cut anything with it? You're going to lose the edge unless you harden it, right? You got to heat it, and then you cool it. And then you heat it and you cool it. And I'm not a blacksmith, so I don't know the whole process. So if I'm getting it wrong, you can talk to me after. But there's a process that involves heat to make stuff harder so it's more resilient. And that's one of the blessings of God's consuming fire is it helps make us resilient. Helps us to be stronger in the face of tribulation and trial. But we got to want it, right? Anybody like going through trials? Anybody just... just chomping at the bit to have more trials poured on our shoulders. Right? We, we're, we're naturally resistant to that. We push back against it because it's uncomfortable. Because it hurts. But those trials are God's way of helping purge out the chaff to get to the wheat. To help get rid of the dross to get to the gold. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is another way in which God uses His consuming fire to help purify us and make us ready for the judgment and for heaven. And here he's talking about he's talking about works. Talk about the work that we do. And sometimes we just aren't very effective in our work for God. We don't we don't always put our best effort forward. We don't always do the best work that we could. And Paul uses fire here to help us get to the to the bottom of of our works. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 beginning verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid which is Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on this foundation so notice here he's talking about building on Christ. He's not talking about building on, on another God or on false doctrine. He's talking about building on Christ. And so he's talking to Christians about building on Christ but he's talking about the way in which we build. He says, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. You notice the, the progression there. He starts with the gold and he works his way down all the How many people build a house out of straw? It's two, two, two or three pigs, right? Yeah. But that's about it. You don't see a lot of straw houses anymore. Why is that? Because we know what happens to straw houses, right? Wolves come along and blow them down. And that's essentially what Paul's going to say here. He says, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's works will become clear, for the day will declare it. Now he's not talking about just daylight, but he's talking about the judgment day. The judgment day is going to make it clear how we build, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive reward. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as though, so as through fire. And the point he's making here is, as Christians, we got work to do. Now when we stand in judgment, one of the things the Bible tells us is there's going to be books that are open, and we're going to give an account of the works that we've done. And we may be pre pretty proud of what we've done. But God's fire, God's judgment is going to be the line in which is going to determine 
And so he makes the point here that he says some people's works are just going to be burned up. Now notice that doesn't mean that they, that they lose their salvation, but their reward is different than the people who worked who built with gold. That's, that's, that's new to us because we don't always think about reward in heaven being different, right? But Jesus tells us, you lay up your treasures in heaven for where your heart is, where your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'll spit that out right, right? So how, how, how are we investing in the future? How are we laying up treasures in heaven? What are our works going to look like in the judgment day when God's consuming fire puts everything to the test? No, again, we're not, Paul's not talking about losing our salvation, but he's talking about our reward in heaven. What's that reward going to look like? And so it's important for us to think about the works that we do here have, a, have an impact through God's grace on our eternal reward. And so our works are going to be revealed. Revelation chapter 3, verse 18. Jesus here speaking uh, to the churches of Asia and in particular here he's speaking to the church <clears throat> he's speaking to the to the lukewarm church of Laodicea he says in verse 18 I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and he goes on to talk about white garments and he talks about salve for their eyes and and I won't get into a lot of detail there because we're going to have lessons on the church coming up in the near future but God wants us to purchase refined stuff from Him. He wants us, and I'm not talking about cars. He wants us to, to rely on Him and His righteousness and His wisdom in our lives. And not to count on our own selves. Not to bank on our own selves. And so we see here God's fire is a is a way in which he purifies the, the blessings in our life as well. Finally, in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the scripture reading that Colton read for us this morning, we see here that God, God's fire motivates us and reminds us to serve him with godly reverence and fear. Because sometimes... I've never, I don't know that I've ever gotten to this point in my life, but I've seen people who've gotten so comfortable around fire that they don't think about how it can burn them. Sometimes we call those, uh, what's the word? Not, a, not an arsonist, but a pyromaniac, right? Somebody who's a pyromaniac who just likes playing with fire. One thing I want to caution us about is God's not a fire that we just play with because God's fire will consume us if we want to play with it. And notice what he says here in Hebrews chapter 12. Beginning verse 25. See that you not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much, shall, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? So he's warning us here to listen to God. There were people who didn't listen to Moses and they were destroyed because of it. He said, now, if they didn't listen to Moses and they were destroyed, don't think you're going to get away with it if you don't listen to God, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he promises, saying, yet once more I shall shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, 
as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. You want to be a part of the kingdom which cannot be shaken? Don't play with God. Don't toy with God. You serve Him acceptably with godly reverence and fear. God is a consuming fire. But God's not a fire that we need to be afraid of if we're willing to let Him purge off the sin and purify the gold. One of the best pictures that I can see of this is in Exodus chapter 24. Fire, the mountain is on fire. The children of Israel are scared. They're, they're quavering. They've already asked Moses, tell God, don't speak to us anymore. He's too fear, we're too fearful of him. We can't tolerate him. We want you to talk to him for us. And this is the picture that I want to encourage us with and I want to challenge us with this week. That mountain is on fire. You know what Moses does? He goes up on the mountain. He goes into the fire. How was he able to do that? Because the fire didn't consume him. As Christians, can we, can we look at God as a consuming fire and still run to Him? Still go to Him? Still enjoy, uh, in, enjoy unity with Him? And a relationship with Him? And fellowship with Him? Because we don't have to be afraid of consuming fire if we, are, if we are willing to submit ourselves to it. If we're willing to, to make ourselves obedient to, to Jesus and to be purified and cleansed by His blood, we don't have to be afraid of this consuming fire. Matter of fact, we can live in it and we can be purged by it. We can be cleansed by it and purified by it and made a better citizen of the kingdom. And we can know in the judgment day that we won't have to endure that eternal fire that awaits those who are disobedient to God in hell. Which direction are you headed today? Are we headed to God or are we headed away from God? Are we headed to an eternal life with the consuming fire in heaven? Or are we headed to an eternal punishment where the consuming fire will continue to burn us but not consume us in hell? That's the question I want us to wrestle with as we close here. Have you obeyed Jesus Christ and His gospel? If you haven't, I want to encourage you to do so. If you know Jesus came to the cross to die for your sins, and you understand that He wants you to, to put away your, those sins from your life and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, we can help you with that today. If as a Christian you've let sin creep back into your life and you need help burning that sin off, let's do it through repentance. Let's change your mind, change your heart, change your life. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.